Good evening, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Stay Focused. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I'm the director of the Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries, and I am your host this evening. Today, I'm, I'm going to take you through, and I don't say this lightly, I'm going to take you through perhaps the most important teaching, preaching that I do. It has fueled my message for many years, but specifically over the last three years, it's the it's the base level, it's the, the predominant message I have, it's the message that from every other message that I have, it flows from this. Um, many of you perhaps know me from talking about revival, you, you know me from prayer services and events and the unity ministries we've built around prayer all over West Virginia and Appalachia region and in other places as well. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about tonight is the the core message. It's the one from which all of these other messages flow. And I'm, I'm excited about talking about it. Um, as normal, a time is not my friend. I have much more content than I have uh, time. I do like to keep these in half hour slots. So I want to jump in and I want to talk about this concept of it's all about Jesus. Uh, three years ago, many of you hear me talking about God taking us to a revival season in our church, the church of pastor. And through that, we, we called the revival season, it's all about Jesus. And I thought I knew what that meant. But about halfway through, the Lord gave me a, a message. And uh, the, the message was based out of Matthew 22, uh, of the parable of the Great Feast. And I, and I preached that many times, use it for a lot of examples. But one thing that had escaped me was this fact that the king had threw a feast for his son. It was his son's wedding. And, you know, then you, you re read the stories of his friends and people invited couldn't you know, they, they, they had to organize their soccer or, you know, whatever, you know, they, they didn't have time to come. Some legitimate, maybe some not so legitimate. And the king became angry and the Lord showed me how that you can make things, you can make church about a lot of different things and people will come. But when it's about the son and just his glory, it seems to be a different story. Now, I'm, I'm painting with broad strokes. I'm not saying everyone all the time is guilty of this. I'm just saying this is the general condition of what I see the, the, the church world. Uh, let me jump in here and I, and just say I have seen, I've been involved with church ministry for 30 years. I've been in the church my whole life. Even my parents brought me to church before I was born. You know, um, I've been in the church my whole life. Uh, the first part of my life, I didn't have a decision in it. We just went. But yeah, I would say two-thirds of my life now, uh, almost two-thirds of my life, it's been by my own decision. I've desired to know the heart of God and, and what it means to follow Jesus. And so I've been with leading ministry all of my uh, entire adult life. I can say all of my adult life has been involved with leading various aspects of the church. And I found it is easy to get people excited about a service, a song, a minister, a message, a cause, an experience, a production, or even about making a difference. I mean, you can get people just excited about many things, and I suppose those things have their place. This isn't a message against any of those things necessarily. I'm just saying it's sad that I have found that fewer people, when they do exist, but fewer people get excited about 
the pure presence and person of Jesus. Fewer people want to gather just around the presence of Jesus. And then when you gather around primarily the presence of Jesus, all the things I just ministered, while they're there, they become secondary. Or even lower, okay? When you have a desire to, to encounter Jesus and live your life around the person and presence of Jesus, all of these other things become less important. But, but again, I found that it is, it's harder to find people who get excited just about the pure presence and person of Jesus, stripped down, no additions, just Jesus face to face. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit. Um, my talk today will be threefold. It's going to be a lot of information. It's possible that the third and really maybe the most practical part of this message I might not have time for today, and we will get into that in the very next segment, but we'll, we'll see. Okay, let's go to the book of Revelations. And in Revelations 1, you, it's the revelation uh, to John, and John was exiled, and he said in verse, um, I mean, my, my vision it requires a little um, bigger uh, writing than my Bible here has, but it's going to be on the screen for you. Um, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to, to Pergamum and to Thracia and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. So you heard a voice, but on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, we know that's a biblical reference to Jesus, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, for in his mouth came a two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, and then we get into the message of the book of Revelation. Now, the point I want to make is John heard the voice, but what he turned and he saw were, were lampstands. But notice he did not mention any kind of light, fire, coming from the lampstands. He just mentioned the lampstands. But in the middle of those was Jesus. And then he goes to describe Jesus, and everything about Jesus was bright, shiny. Did, did, did you notice that? I've read that most of my whole life, and it was only a couple years ago that I really noticed that when Paul described this, he, he described the lampstands, but then he described the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And, and then he goes into great detail describing what the light looked like. See, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say that at best, the church, when I say the church, I'm talking about us as people, but also I'm referring to how we express the church through church services, uh, groups, serving, 
how, what, whatever expressions of the church, I want to say all of that together, starting with us as a people, uh, elders, leaders, congregation, the people, and the various expressions of the church are but a lampstand. We are not the light. You know, our gifts in and of themselves are not the light. At best, we are a lampstand, holders of the light. The glorious presence of Jesus should fill us and emanate from everything that the church does. Now, what I've noticed is this, is that um, in today's culture, we don't have lampstands, we can say like a lamp or a light fixture. You know, when the lights are on, you don't really even notice lamps or, or the lamp fixture itself. It's, it's not um, as much as in, in importance other than to talk about, I'll, I'll, let me rephrase, when the lights are on and you can see, then you start examining. Maybe you look at a lamp, you're like a, a, a lamp set, and then you start having opinions about whether it's a traditional looking lamp or a contemporary looking lamp, and 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 um, is it old, is it new, is it big, small? And it's only when there's plenty of light on that you become fascinated with the lampstand itself. But I've also noticed that whenever it's dark, the most important thing to you is the light. It's the light. It, it doesn't matter how expensive a lamp is. If it cannot produce light, it's useless in the darkness. doesn't matter how admired the lamp is when the light's already on. If it cannot produce light, it's, it's useless. Because I, I, I want to present to you that the purpose of the fundamental, foundational, important purpose of the lamp, the lampstand, the light fixture, is to hold the light. That's its primary purpose. See, I find out that we get extremely excited about everything a church does is it's constructed. Church leaders sometimes get really fixated on constructing a contemporary, traditional, whatever type of lampstand and model. And I, when I say that, I'm talking about all the ways uh, that the church expresses itself, both in this, in the Sunday morning services and its ministry to the world, its small group, everything we do. We get really fixated on, on the uh, the how the lampstand looks, but I want to tell you that if if it is incapable of holding light, it's how it looks. Its image is is useless. It, it doesn't matter. So I, I'm going to say that if we're going to say that that um, the church is a lampstand, I think there's some holes in our lampstand. We we leak the 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 oil and the light. If, if it is a lamp, if it's a contemporary lamp, a light fixture, there's something wrong with the wiring. We're not conduits that brings the light to Jesus because I think we're getting overly fixated, not on the light, but rather the mechanisms of the church itself. Now, these are deep subjects. Uh, and, and just so that you can, you, uh, just so you know, I have spent my life studying the mechanism of the church. And there are certain mechanisms of the church that seem to get in the way. A absolutely. I I'm not just dismissing this and say that, uh, that we never have to worry about certain things. I, I want to get to this. I'm just saying that it's what's first and what's second. And you can have the best lampstand in the world and functionally it should be perfect. It's like having a Ferrari or a Lamborghini sitting in your driveway, if it doesn't have gas, it is useless. 
But the little pinto over here, if it has gas, it's going to get me from A to B. Ideally, we have the Ferrari that has the gas, right? So ideally, we are functioning and firing with the mechanisms of the church proper and right. But if the emphasis is anything other than the light of Christ, then we are trying to produce false light, and it is insufficient. I hope this is making sense. Because what I've found out is that the, many of the things, uh, the, the primary questions of the church is not, is Jesus alive and present through everything we do, we get really fixated on, I think, the wrong things. We make it about the, the ministers. We make it about the message and the delivery styles. We make it about music and worship leaders. We make it about the date and styles of the songs we sing. Was it written 500 years ago, 200 years ago, 50 years ago, or is it current? It's a traditional style. It's a contemporary style. We make it about, we even make it about the aesthetics of the room that we gather in. I want you to think about that. I mean, we have lots of debates and fights and sometimes church splits over the rooms we gather in. We make it about the gifts of the Spirit, whether for or against. We make it about the young versus the old. We make it about the member versus the visitors. We make it about the needs of the saved versus the needs of the lost. And I'm going to tell you, that should not be, those should not be the first questions we're asking. I want, to, I want to say to you, we should be asking, are we exalting Jesus in this church? Are we truly exalting Jesus? I want to talk to you a few minutes about what it means. I want to talk to you about why we should exalt Jesus, and then I want to give you some practical ways to actually exalt Jesus through everything your church does. But first, why? Why? Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible, invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Some translations say that in everything he might be supreme. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his Christ. And I could keep reading here in Colossians. I could read the first chapter of Hebrews. I could read the first chapter of Ephesians. I could read the first chapter of John that puts the emphasis on the supremacy of Christ in everything we do. While we can be really focused about the needs of people, in our churches, I want to ask you a question. Have you considered his needs? Is Christ truly supreme in everything you do? Why all this emphasis on Jesus? I just read that Colossians tells us that everything was made by him and for him. Uh, let me go on. Uh, I want to say why the emphasis is because the church is his, but so is the whole universe. Second, do you realize 
that the, Jesus was the Father's only sermon. I've heard this before. I'm not sure who it originated with, but Jesus was the Father's only sermon in the New Testament. When the Father spoke in the New Testament, it was two different times, and the first said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Then the second was, this is on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my Son, listen to him. So the only time the Father spoke in the New Testament was to affirm the Son and to, to tell everyone to listen to the Son. Why make it all about Jesus? It's all His. <laughs> the Father says to make it all about Jesus. Romans 11 and 3 says, For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. All things exist and consist because of Jesus. Do you know Jesus brings us to the Father? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so while you can have an excellent lampstand, if that lampstand is not emanating pure Jesus, pure Jesus, it's deficient. Now that's hard. Listen, as a pastor, that was hard truth for me to grapple with, and I'm still grappling with that. But Jesus brings people to the Father. Jesus reveals the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 says, And for God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that our job as a church is to help people see the glory that is in the face of Jesus. Now, here's the thing: we can easily say, "Oh, we do that. We do that." You know, uh, you know, we preach the gospel. We do. But I, I want to push us in the last few minutes of this talk. I, I want to push us to say, "What would look different if we truly made it all about Jesus?" Uh, Jesus brings us to the Father. Jesus also baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, John said, and Matthew 3 and 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and the fire. So to make it about Jesus is not to diminish the Father or the Son. I'm just simply going to say that you can't get to the Father without Jesus, and you cannot receive the Holy Spirit without Jesus. So Jesus is is supremely important. Now, he, he's not above the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus' church, upon this rock, the rock of who I am, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus' church must make him supreme in all that we do. Now, I'm going to tell you that, and I want to get into what I think is maybe the most important part of my talk, and is is if we're truly making it about Jesus, how, how will that affect when and how we gather, how we serve the world, all those things? When God first began to challenge me with this, I mentioned before we were in a revival, and in this revival, we, we refused to announce singers. <laughs> we refused to announce preachers, even though we had them. We had guests in. We had... But we just simply invited people to come and experience Jesus. And you know, many, many people did. We, we had, man, I could, I, I, and I, I'm probably going to do this some, at some point. I'm going to spend a whole episode um, bringing on some friends and just interviewing some people that it was walked through this revival season with us and crazy stories of people, 
people who didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God so encountered him that they're weeping and saying, why am I crying? I don't want to cry. I don't believe this. What's this feeling? I mean, and we're inviting them into his presence. I'm going to tell you that Jesus is a fantastic evangelist. If your heart is in, in reaching the lost, and I'm getting ahead of myself, Jesus, the presence of Jesus brings people to the Father. Now, when we make it about Jesus, and, and uh, as I often say, this isn't the, this talk, this 30-minute talk, we're probably going to be more like 33 or something like that, is not the sum totality on this subject. These are just some thoughts I have right now. I'm exploring these thoughts nearly every day for the last couple of years, and I keep writing, I keep thinking, I keep writing on these thoughts. What does it mean to make it about Jesus? But here's some preliminary thoughts. Our reason for gathering will change. When Jesus returns to the supreme place in his church, our worship services, now get this, are centered around him. It's no longer young versus old, traditional versus contemporary, believer versus lost, member versus visitor, seeker versus Christian. Jesus becomes the focal point of the gathering. All of a sudden, we shifted from making people the focal point of our gathering to Jesus. Now, will people benefit? Absolutely, I want to talk about that. But the reason we gather will be for Christ's presence. We gather to worship him. We gather to experience his presence, to listen to him as he speaks to us. Now, all of a sudden, we don't go to church for any other reason other than when two or three are gathered, Christ is present. And we gather to worship the Christ who's present. We gather to experience the Christ, the Christ who is present, and he moves amongst his church. And we gather to listen as he speaks to his church. We gather for the sacraments, too. I'm going to mention that in a moment, why, why, that, why that is important. Now, practically speaking, listen, I, I've, I've been organizing church services for 30 years. So I understand, practically speaking, music styles and teaching styles will be selected. Yes. And I, you know, because I listed all these things that we make it about, and I said, those are secondary at best. First question we are uh, we should ask is what does Jesus want out of this gathering? And we have to be crystal clear. And that re and listen, that involves more than just having a thirty second, forty five second um, circle prayer before your creative team meeting. I'm not against creative planning services. I've hosted hundreds of those creative planning meetings. I'm not against those, but I'm, I'm just saying that if we spend more time on creative elements than we are passionately seeking the face of God, something's out of balance. Now, how you figure that out and express that, uh, you'll, you'll have to figure that out. But I'm just saying, church leader, church planner, you must. Because I promise you that when the very power of Jesus is evident when your church gathers, a lot of the things you're stressing about right now, no one will even care about. See, people start caring about that until they see light. Once they see light, they're more fixated on the fact that there's light. You know, you know, where when, once people when people are in darkness and they see light, they're really enamored by, by the light. They're like Apostle John, who was enamored by the light itself. 
and the lampstands were secondary. He mentioned them, but he was really focused on the source of light. And so while um, music styles, speaking, teaching styles, all, all of those things must be selected, uh, and yes, we should make newcomers feel welcome, and and we and we should be sensitive to the fact that there are unchurched people in our room. And by that, I mean we should be sensitive to the fact that maybe they don't know the Bible like we do, and we should slow down and do some backstory sometime, explain words we're using. Oh, sure, that that's just being smart. Jesus did those types of things. But when I say we should be sensitive to the fact the loss is in the room, I, I'm not saying we should censor our message because the loss is in the room. And that'll come here in just a minute. So... I understand that practically speaking, music styles, teaching styles must be selected. We should make newcomers feel welcome, sure. And we should be sensitive to the fact that people uh, are new to church and they don't understand everything. And so we should explain things we go along, sure. And it is unchristlike to be selfish and demanding and elitist. That's very unchristlike to just demand your ways, whether you're young or old. Let me just say it again. Whether you're young or old, to just demand your way to be met in the church. That's, that's insensitive, that's prideful, that's arrogant, that's unchristlike. But I'm just going to say that the spirit that we address, many of these things would change if we make Christ the focal point of our church. Rather than just fighting about which people group's needs will be met, and which people group's needs will be a priority, young, old, Christian, visitor, you know, all that, we should discern and meet his needs first and foremost when we gather. Unbelievers should be welcomed in our midst so they can learn more about Jesus, not just learn some neat things on your life or be impressed by our our, our pastor's um, um, uh, uh, props or our worship team's current music, unbelievers should be brought so they can encounter Jesus, who he is, what he should mean to him, what he says about life. They should know that they will encounter Christ's presence, his words, his power through our church and through our church's worship gatherings. Believers should come because our church is Jesus-centered. Unbelievers should come so they can encounter this Jesus and what he says about life. The believers should come so they can encounter Jesus. They know they will experience his power and presence as they gather. They know his teachings and his life are taught and lived out by the church family. They know they are on Jesus' mission together as a family. It is truly about him and what he desires of them. And churches of all styles and denominations are at risk of creating worship experiences that do not put the Christ at the center. Traditional churches are, guilt, are, are, are guilty of this. Contemporary churches are guilty of this. Um, uh, various denominations are guilty of creating church services that do not put Christ at the center of the gathering. Let me talk to you about what that means. I want to say through primarily unspoken cues, believers come to watch what a few are doing. Or, I mean, people, believer or unbeliever, just come to watch what a few are doing. But when we gather because of Jesus, listen, we will long to express love to him because he's present, and we want to sing to him. 
uh, we, we long to express that love to him through our music, through our singing, through our words, through our prayer. We'll lift our hands. We'll kneel in humility because, because we're encountering his presence. A return to repentance will fill our gatherings as we are all called to examine ourselves as we come to the table of the Lord and receive the, the, the sacrament of communion. The unbeliever will be given an assessment of their life the believer will be given a chance to examine their life. Repentance will be preached every time we come to the table of the Lord. And we will experience Christ, even as he said, "You will. this is my body, this is my blood. We will experience Christ's presence. So Christ is present. Because he's present, we will worship him. We will, because he's present, we'll be called to repentance because he is present, his words will be taught. His words will be delivered. Because he is present, we will long for his power to work in the lives of everyone in the room. And then Jesus will draw all men to the Father, to himself and to the Father, as he is lifted up. I, I'm giving you several things, but I, I pray that you go back and listen to this carefully because we can think that we are calling people to gather for the presence of God, but really his presence is secondary. But when we gather for his presence, worship will flow out of our hearts because we experience it, because he'll show up, he promised. Repentance fills our room as we examine our hearts as we come to the table of the Lord. The unbeliever will come to learn about Jesus, experience Jesus. The unbeliever will be amazed as the spirit of Jesus heals the sick. The believer will be drawn to Jesus and his words. The believer will experience repentance as they examine themselves. All of us, believer and unbeliever, will encounter Jesus, and he will bring us to the Father and baptize us with the Holy Spirit. You know, when we make it all about Jesus and he's supreme, our teaching and preaching will change. You know, so many Sunday messages are, or, or any messages today are centered around self-improvement. And, and get, listen to me clearly, Jesus' words do lead to life. But let me explain something to you. That when you preach the message that Jesus preached, it will bring frustration to people. Because you cannot live Jesus' message through your own power. He demands a level of sacrifice and servant that goes against human nature, and we will not do it. And so a Christ-centered message, get this, that preaches, preaches the message that Jesus preached will cause frustration in people and will drive them to need Jesus more because you will tell people, you cannot live this these are the words of life, but you cannot live it through your own power. You must have Jesus alive and working through you. And so then it will be commonplace for people to seek deliverance, seek the power of God at our gatherings. And then it will also become necessary for us as pastors to have systems in place where people have mentors who can walk them through life as they learn to live in the power of Jesus, living what Jesus taught us, because in our own power and effort, pastor, I'm just going to preach I want to tell you, if people can live your message through their own effort, it's not a Christ-centered message, because 
the message of Christ will create tension and frustration because it'll be impossible to do. I remember years ago, I was in a, in a, in a, in a, in a meeting and my mother-in-law, who we have a great uh, relationship, she don't mind me sharing this, I've shared it many times. My mother-in-law said, Jay, you know, it, it's just hard following Jesus sometimes. Like, like, you, you know, we're reading these things, it's hard. And, 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 and she's been a Christian for many years. And I looked at her, I said, no, Margaret, it's not hard. She said, well, it's hard for me. And I said, no, it's impossible. It's not hard, it's impossible. See, when Christ becomes present in our message, it brings, it exposes our need for him in our lives. Not just our need to say a prayer so we can go to heaven, but our need to actually live the things that Jesus talked about. I, I hope this is making, making sense. See, the, the Christian life is more than just behavior modification. It requires transformation. It's the old becoming new. So the message of the text, and this isn't a, 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 a you know, I'm not talking about the importance of expository uh, preaching uh, versus topical preaching. Some of you know what I'm talking about that. But I'm just saying expository or topical, the text itself must guide our preaching. Uh, too many times we're just trying to make good ideas and we'll quote this person and fit up this picture from here and then throw a little verse in there. That's not Christ-centered preaching. His message. See, there are two messages that we must be preaching. It's the message about Jesus. Get this. Who he is, the son of God, who we are, separated from God, dead in our sins. What he did for us through the cross why it should matter, why we should have faith in that, why we should believe that he, like there's all of that message, the implications of ignoring Christ. It's the message about Christ should be preached. But then there was the message that Jesus actually preached himself. Turn the other cheek, forgive the kingdom of God. All of these things. And I just taught a few, few of them. And as we begin and Jesus said, preachers, listen, Jesus said that we must make disciples and we must teach them to obey all of those things. All those things we just say, uh, well, Jesus said turn, said, turn the other cheek. And we make jokes about it. Like, well, you know, I'll turn it once and the third one's mine. Yeah, uh, we, we cannot dismiss these things, but it is impossible to live these things without his power. So a, when Christ returns to the supremacy in his church, Then people gather for him, but then our messages change. We preach about Christ, but then we also preach the things he preached about. And so I'm just going to say again that often Christ-centered messages, preaching what Jesus preached about, will cause frustration in people because, unless they're just not listening, you know, I'll preach some things and people say, oh, I ain't got a problem with that. And I'm like, mm, I don't think you're listening. Because if you listen, you'd have like a lot of questions right now and you, you would be getting really concerned and you'd probably be a little upset with me <laughs> if you're really listening. Because you know what I often do when I preach? I just say, you know what? I don't like that either. I preach a difficult thing that Christ taught. I don't like that either. But his words lead to life. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, I must say, how can I live this out? I'm going to go ahead and just finish this up, and this session is going to be a little longer than the others. But so, practically speaking, how does it change when we make it all about Christ? Our gatherings, we gather to experience his power, his presence, to hear his teachings. 
the messages themselves gather a change. And let, let me summarize again. So then the focus is not young versus old, believer versus all of that becomes secondary. The first thing is, is, is Christ present when we gather? And then his presence will begin doing things that we can't do on our own. And then is Christ present in my message? Am I preaching about him, but am I also preaching the things that he preached and creating tension in people to the point that they just say, I can't do this, and often walk, walk away. And Jesus let them walk, and he didn't lower the message. So many times when I preach just what Jesus preached, people are like, oh, you're unchristlike. That's hard. And I'm like, no, actually, that's what he preached. You need to get in the Gospels and read what Jesus talked about. So Christ should fill our messages and create tension in people's lives. Not just tension about salvation, but tension about how they approach their marriage. Tension about how they approach parenting. Tension about how they approach their enemies, how they approach their friends, how they approach their finances, how they approach sin, how they approach life, how they approach death, how they approach everything, how they approach, spend everything about our lives. Jesus talked about so many of these things, and when we begin to talk about it, it should create tension in people that forces them to see they can't do this on their own. And so then we began to see people crying out for the power of God in their lives. And then we began seeing systems in place in the church where we walk along with each other and teach each other and support each other as we're learning to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is just an introduction to this. I want to get your minds thinking. So while we gather will change, what happens when we gather changes, our messages begin to change. And our serving motivation will change. Our serving. When we make it all about Jesus, the motivation for good works in the world, we serve out of love for him. And so that others will know who he is. Unbelievers, get this, might very well be attracted to your church because of the love expressed through meeting physical needs in, in the name of community. But if we are not meeting those needs in the name of Jesus, with the message of Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, then we are at a risk of developing disciples of something other than Jesus. So when I meet a need, it's, it's uh, and, and I, okay, let me just go forward with this. The point of ministry is not to create an interest in your church. The point of ministry is to create an interest in Christ. So I'm meeting your needs because Jesus taught me to meet your needs, and he loves you so much, he has asked me to meet your needs. As a matter of fact, Jesus so identifies with you that he said, when I serve you, I am actually serving him. So now all of a sudden, I'm not serving to create an interest in our church. I'm serving the community to create an interest in Christ, and and, and in someone you know, makes a decision to follow Christ and they need a church family, I'll invite them in my church family. But you know what? They might not ever have an interest in my church. But if if Christ is the supreme reason why I serve, it doesn't matter. I'm serving because he asked me to. Wow. If the church is more needs-focused than Christ-focused, we are in danger of creating consumers who think the church exists to serve them when we, in reality, the whole world exists to serve Christ. 
And it's not two different ways of saying the same thing. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. And many people will, will, will use St. Francis's quote to say, preach wherever you go and when necessary use words as an excuse to never tell people uh, about Jesus. You know, upon further research, there's a lot of people who, a lot of historians who think that St. Francis didn't even actually say that. Preach wherever you go and when necessary use words. Because Francis preached with his words everywhere, including to the animals. He would get out in the woods and preach to the birds. He preached with his words everywhere. Now, I'm just saying that if I am meeting a need in the name of Christ, there will uh, I don't look at someone and say, listen, I'm not going to feed you unless you get saved. No, that's not what I'm saying. But as I'm feeding them, I'm letting them know Christ is motivating. Christ sent this food to you. Christ is, is keeping your heat on. Christ wants your family safe, and he wants you to know who he is, and he wants to return you to the Father. And then we point them to Christ, and as they begin to understand his lordship, then he will transform their life, and they will begin living their life, not just, they will move beyond a point of just crisis and receiving, and then they themselves, they may never be rich, but they will live their life eventually in service to others and where people are not just serving um, and creating uh, church atmospheres that are just based on meeting people's needs, but we're actually making disciples even through our service. Let me say another thing. Um, so so how, how do we make our service about Christ? We tell people, Christ sent me here today. You say, well, what if Jesus didn't? If you're a believer and you're meeting a physical need, if you're repairing a home, if you're keeping someone's power on, feeding them, clothing them, Christ told you to do that. So he sent you. So you tell people, I, Christ has sent me to meet these needs for you. And then you point people back to Christ by showing his love. Now, when Christ becomes a center of our, of, of our um, serving, then all of a sudden we don't serve people based on whether or not we think that they deserve it. Now, that's a big one. We serve people because he told us to. And I'm not saying don't be wise and, you know, and, and just like, you know, our, our personal policy as a, as a community of believers, my personal life and the, and the church that I help elder and shepherd, uh, we, we make a policy of, you know, we rarely give cash. We buy gas, we buy food, we pay bills. We do things like that, sure. And so I'm, I'm not just saying not to have responsible things in place, but I promise you that you start deciding, you start thinking about whether someone actually needs help or not uh, based on that. You start getting strong opinions. They frustrate you. They make you angry. Now, if I'm serving because Christ asked me to, I just keep serving. But if I serve because I'm just meeting people's needs, then once, I, once I'm upset at you, I quit serving you. I want you to think about that. We point, we point, when Christ is at the center of our serving, we point any gratitude back to Christ. Someone says, thank you, and you say, you know what? You're very welcome. But tell Jesus thank you. So now all of a sudden, the, the point of our service is just to exalt Christ, and it is in a response to what he's asked us to do. And lastly, with when Christ is supreme in our church, our motivation for evangelism will change. Love for 
This is the last thing I'm sharing. I'm going to do this in about one minute or less, probably a minute and a half, if I'm going to be honest. But listen to me carefully. Often, love and concern for people going to hell or living bad lives or whatever it is motivates us to share the gospel. And, and you should love people. But if you're not primarily motivated to preach the gospel because you know that the lamb who died, his reward is every person on earth knowing who he is. That should be our primary motivation because then when we're frustrated with people and we think they're not listening, we keep on preaching because we know he's worthy. But if it's just to help people, we get frustrated and we can just throw our hands up and we no longer want to do it because, you know, people aren't responding the way we think they should. But if we do it because the lamb's worthy and he's asked us to tell people, he's given us this ministry of reconciliation and Christ's love compels us to preach the gospel, we keep preaching even when we're frustrated with people. Often we will see outreach as a way to build our church, but evangelism is about Jesus and letting people know who he is and allowing people, let, letting people know how they can come to Jesus because he's worthy. I'm also going to say that when Jesus is at the center of our evangelism, we'll even preach difficult truth, even if it means people walk away from us. Now, now, I'm against just preaching problems. I'm against just preaching hell. You're going to hell, you're going to hell without offering solutions. But I think that people need to know the reality of their sin. Most people think they're okay. Most people don't realize that they, they are in serious spiritual jeopardy. So that means we have to talk about sin and what it is. We have to talk about the consequences of sin, even if people reject us. And in today's culture, when we start talking about what sin is, we're called judgmental. That's another message. But we must tell people that they have a spiritual problem caused by sin and what that sin is, and then teach them how that God has created us for his heart and pulls us back to him and how that we can be, how they can be saved. But many our evangelism often falls short because people don't understand the need. They, they, don't, they don't understand their need for a Savior. And they just think, well, God loves me, and that you know that's enough. And they don't realize that they are separated from God. And because he loves them, he's sending a preacher. He's sending somebody to tell them how to be saved. And then often the preacher is afraid of pushing the person away, so we just stay away from certain sins. But when Christ and his message is, is preeminent in our message, and what we're preaching and speaking even as Christ let people walk away who would not submit, surrender submit, then we let them walk away. We explain it clearly and let them make the choice. But we don't run after people or downplay the message when they start walking away. Listen, guys, I hope that this makes sense to you. I gave you a lot today in these 40-some minutes. Um, I would encourage you to go back piece by piece and listen to what I'm talking about and figure out ways that you can practically apply this to your life. Christ must be supreme in all things. I gave you reasons why. And then I practically showed you how to start making him center of your gatherings and then what people can expect, how to make him the center of your preaching 
and how it'll affect that, how to make him the center of your serving and how to make him the center of your outreach and your evangelism. And that's just a start, but he must be preeminent in every part of our church. I hope this was helpful. I hope this uh, uh, stirred maybe a hunger in you and raised some questions in you. If this has been a blessing, share it with some other people. And I look forward to continuing the, the, the dialogue. Thank you so much.